passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball is back after a respite. We took a hiatus, but we are back and we are ready to go. I got bad news, I got good news. Bad news is Danny is not with me for Bustin' Loose Baseball. Uh, He has some things going on. He is a busy boy, but he will be contributing to the program still. It's not like he's gone completely and forever. But the good news is I got my guy Toby Altizer, you guys here on 106.7 The Fan. He is a baseball mark. He loves the Nats. He knows ball, and he is fun to chat with, and he's going to be with me moving forward here talking ball with you guys to give you the best, most regular podcast that we can multiple times a week here on the Nationals. It's a big time for the Nats. They're playing good baseball at the big league level. The system uh, is and more important what's going on in the minor leagues right now that it's been in years. We got a draft coming up where they got the second pick, which is critical in July at the all-star break. So things are moving and shaking here and we need to be breaking it down on busting loose baseball. Toby say hello to the people. Tell them a little bit about your Nats fandom and background. Yeah, it's good to talk to you guys. Grant, it's fun uh, catching up and talking baseball with you. Of course. Yeah. Grew up a Nats fan, grew up in the area, worked in Milwaukee for a little bit. So covered the brewers out there, but Always follow the Nats. 2019 is one of my favorite memories as a as a sports fan, period. So hopefully we can get back to that soon. But like you said, the boys are playing good baseball this year, unlike what we could say at times last season. So it's fun to watch these guys, and hopefully they can continue to parlay all this into success down the road. Yeah, even with the series loss in Miami, and it's been back-to-back one-run losses to start that series as they play matinee baseball as we record this podcast here on Thursday. They are four games out of the wild card, which is pretty amazing. And I don't say that as if we're going to be watching the scoreboard to see if they make the playoffs. I have no delusions of grandeur here. That's silly. But even with these back-to-back one-run losses, it's indicative of kind of how they've played. They've lost a lot of close games among the 25 setbacks this year. They have been ultra competitive. Their run differential is minus 22. That's better than the Phillies who spent a lot of money this offseason, brought in Trey Turner. That's way better than the Marlins who they're competing with in these series right now, who they're only four games back of after losing to them twice. It's kind of on par with the Mets who had the biggest offseason and spent the most money who are sub 500 themselves. So the expectation coming into the year that they were going to be horrendous, that after watching this team stink for the last few years and and the product last year, Toby, which was borderline unwatchable with you know, hits just didn't turn into outs, right? I mean, contact oftentimes led to errors and, and issues on the base paths. It's a much more compelling, legitimate, credible brand of baseball right now as they're hanging around 500 since the first week when they were one in six. They are legitimately a 500 ball club with more runs scored than allowed. Like Who saw that coming over a six or so week stretch here? Yeah, and I think it's important for these guys. You know, we're going to talk about the development of some of these guys and the the young guys in the order and in the rotation. I think it's important for these guys to be playing competitive baseball. Like you said, they're not far out of a playoff spot right now, but we're not foolish enough to think that they're actually going to make the playoffs. But they're playing baseball that matters right now. And I think that's important for these guys to learn that, hey, listen, you're in the big leagues now. You need to learn how to be a big league ball player, but you're also learning how to compete at a high level and learning how to play for a playoff spot. I think it's important for these guys. And, you know, going into the season, I didn't think 
that this team would be in as many ball games as they have been. I mean, it's I, I thought early in the season that Davey Martinez almost had to manage two different games when they were in a game, manage it like you're almost in a playoff environment because I didn't feel like they were going to be in a whole lot of baseball games. Maybe out of a seven game stretch, they'd be in three or four of them, like a one or two run ball game. But they've been in just about every ball game every night, close going into the late innings. So it's been impressive to watch this team really take a step forward from last year to this year, and you're seeing guys grow at the major league level. You've seen Josiah Gray take the next step in his career, and hopefully we can see some of these young guys continue to do that. But this team is playing good baseball right now. It's not necessarily winning baseball yet. It's not competitive playoff baseball yet, but they are playing good baseball. Yeah, they're better than the expectation, and it it sounds kind of silly, but it has been refreshing. I'm enjoying watching them. It was a chore last year to watch this team. It really legitimately was. I remember I would be sitting there for, at times, you know, before the pitch clock, three and a half, four hours watching these games, and my wife would say, you're just, you're furious. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, this is what I, what do you want me to do? This is, I watch baseball every night. It's not that anymore. They're playing defense. They're they're getting starting pitching. Uh, they're, They're not getting the timely hitting consistently that I want, but they're on base a lot. You know, if you actually look at, some of the numbers in terms of base hits and how often you have base runners, they're in the the top, not only third, but you know, pretty elite quarter of the league. It's just that they're not scoring runs at the rate because they don't have the power, which we could dive into in a little bit. Uh, but we might as well actually start looking into some of the building blocks here. You just referenced Josiah Gray. So, Toby, let's go to the pitching side of things first uh, and start with Gray. He's been an awesome Revelation. What what a development this has been this year. A jump forward. Remember, he gave up home runs to the first two batters of the season. If you take those two at-bats out of the equation and just start his year with his third batter, his ERA is barely over two. And for the year, it's 2.7 and nine starts, 52 innings and 49 hits, which is a very good sign. You want fewer hits than innings pitched. 52 innings and 45 strikeouts. So not quite a punch out per inning. You'd like a front or middle of the rotation starter probably to miss a few more bats. But here's the thing. He has had games where he's gotten tons of swing and misses. He's had a 20 swing and miss game where his slider was less hittable than any other slider in baseball over the last several years, other than three or four outings from guys like uh, Jacob deGrom and, and Corbin Burns and some Cy Young caliber arms. His whip 1.3 is the, the best uh, among the, the young starters for this group team is average against his 246, which is now dipped under Mackenzie Gore. Uh, after last year, when he led the league in home runs allowed, Toby, and there was some concern about fly ball rate, it's more ground balls, it's less deep fly balls, and the home runs have completely fallen off. Josiah Gray looks like a real deal middle of the rotation starter for them. Yeah, I mean, what he's shown this year has been a very big step forward from last season. And my big thing for him coming into this year was I wanted to see consistency because there were points last season where you'd see a flash and you're like, that guy can be a really good major league starter. And then he'd follow it up with a stinker and couldn't make it out of the third or fourth inning after having giving up a couple home runs this year. You've seen more of that consistency. And I think he's talked a little bit about this, where the trade kind of threw him off a little bit last year. He really got to experience being a full-time major league starter. And now you're seeing him take that step forward. And I think this goes to a lot of the young guys and you're seeing it with gray. We got spoiled with guys like Soto and Harper coming up and immediately having an impact for the ball club and really establishing themselves as a starter and really as a star at the major league level. But I think for the majority of players that aren't of that caliber, you almost have to establish establish yourself as a major leaguer and then you can take that next next step and I think that's what we saw with Josiah Gray last year is he established himself as a major league starter now we're seeing him realize what he is as a major league starter and take that next step of growth and it's been very encouraging because I thought he was you know a three or a four type middle of rotation guy like you mentioned but what he's shown so far this season maybe he could be even a little bit better than that yeah, I think the hope when they acquired him, and remember, Josiah Gray came over with Kbert Ruiz from the Dodgers as one of their top pitching prospects with their, at the time, top catching prospect in the deal for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. And when they brought him in, internally what they hoped was they just added a number two starter. I don't think they thought there was a, an ace ceiling. Uh, and, and as we've seen, as good as he's been, I, I don't know that he's got that gear, right, where he goes out 
and he, he pitches seven innings and punches out 12 or 13. You know, not every team has a guy like that, by the way. But maybe that's not the upside. But they thought if things click, he could be a number two starter with a, a high twos, low threes ERA who could strike out about a batter per inning. And frankly, that's what he's been this year. And what I really like about him, Toby, is he is pitching right now. And that sounds silly to say, but I was texting with someone who works with the Nationals in the organization in their front office uh, about him after his start. And they, they were talking about how he pitched his butt off in this most recent outing against the Marlins where he didn't have his best stuff. You know, he was out there and you thought, uh, I'm not sure. And last year that might be five innings, five runs. And it was seven innings with one Ernie. That's the kind of development we've seen where he is adding and subtracting. There's pitchability. I think the cutter has been tremendous for him. The numbers haven't always been great. That pitch has been barreled occasionally. But the addition of the cutter has been significant. Fastball command, much improved. He's not just kind of throwing the ball over the plate, but he's hitting a mitt. He's hitting quadrants. He's keeping it out of the fat part of the strike zone. Last year, about 19% of his fly balls became homers. This year, that number is only about 9%. Last year, 33% of batted balls against him were ground balls. This year, that number is 44%. Uh, he's been able to, to buckle down a little more with runners on. He stranded 80% of runners last year. That's up to 85%. And frankly, I'm not sure how sustainable that is. You know, the K rate's down from a little over 9 to about 7.7 .7 per 9. A trade-off you'll take for all of the other uh, advancements. But I think there's more in the tank in terms of swings and misses and strikeouts. And again, the fact that he's gone from giving up 2.3 home runs per nine last season to 0.85 this year is the entire story. Yeah, he's shown some real resilience. And like you said, he's becoming more of a pitcher and not just a thrower. And that even when he doesn't have his best stuff, he can just find something that works for him that day, get outs. And really, again, Nationals fans have gone through times where they've seen elite pitching. And just think about some of those Max Scherzer starts where he was struggling. He didn't have his best stuff. And he would still find a way to give you six or seven strong innings and keep your team in the ballgame. And that's what Josiah Gray has done this year. He's taken that next step where even if he takes the mound and his A-plus stuff isn't with him, he'll just find a way to work through it, find a way to get outs and keep the team in the ballgame. And this year, like you said, the big thing for him is last year when he would struggle, he'd leave it over the middle of the plate. Next thing you know, he's given up a couple home runs and he's leaving early. This year, he's found a way to avoid the fat part of the plate and keep the ball in the ballpark and found a way to get outs. And I think what we've seen so far from Josiah Gray, some of it's unsustainable, like you said, stranding all the runners and different things like that. But I think we're seeing him take that next step and really grow as a major league starter. I'm excited to see what he can really become. He's Toby Altizer. I'm Grant Paulson. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball taking inventory on the Nats here in the middle of May. Uh, Gray, by the way, expected ERA about one run higher than what it's been. It's 2-7. It should be 3-7 according to the numbers. And his FIP is even higher than that. Uh, so th there's a regression probably coming, and that's fine. Uh, the point is he's been really, really good. If you look at some of the percentiles via baseball savant, expected batting average, 61st percentile. Barrel percentage, 65th. Hard hit percentage, 73rd. Average exit velocity, 78th. What you see there is a guy who is um, pitching like a, like I said, a, a middle-of-the-rotation type starter, which is what they were hoping for. Now let's talk Mackenzie Gore coming off of a five-and-a-third-inning outing against the Marlins. Did give up five hits and four earned runs, was victimized by a long ball. Has seven strikeout outing uh, added to the ledger. So now for his season... He comes into his next start sitting with a 370 RA, 46 innings, and 58 strikeouts, a 251 average against the bugaboo for him early in the year. And to his credit, this has gotten a lot better the last three times out. He was walking way too many batters, only walked one, two, and two in his last three starts against the Diamondbacks, Mets, and Marlins. So the, the walk rate has come down, but he has not gotten deep into these recent starts. Four innings against the Mets. He threw a ton of pitches, a lot of foul balls. Uh, he had a five and a third inning out, as I said, against Miami. There was a start, a couple starts before the Mets outing, where at home he, he struggled to get deep into the game. Early season against the Angels had a short outing. He's only 24. He's kind of in the year that Gray was in last year, Toby, where this is his first full like get comfortable year in the big leagues. I think that's important to remember. Your thoughts on Mackenzie Gore so far? Yeah, and I think that's a great point, and that's why I brought it up with Josiah Gray. He's 
a year behind. I know we kind of lump all the young guys in together, but he's a year behind Gray in that sense, and that this is his first full season of really getting to experience being a major league starter. So I think he's trying to find himself a little bit. And if you've watched Gray starts, you just see the potential every time he takes the mound, blowing guys away with the fastball. He's got good breaking balls. I'd like to see him mix in the changeup maybe more against right-handers. I think that's the issue right now with Gray or Gore. Like you said, he struggled with walks early. He's found a way to improve that a little bit. But right now, he just can't seem to get guys put away. He gets them to the two strikes, and he just can't necessarily always put them away. They foul a lot of pitches off. But like you said, this guy's still finding himself. This is the first time he's really spent the entire season, or he's going to spend the entire season in a rotation. So he's kind of establishing himself as a major league starter. And I think this works perfectly with Gray, as we just talked about. Gray's more that middle-of-the-rotation type guy. Gore, I think you can see just by watching his starts, has the potential to be an ace, probably a number one, at least a number two for sure, as a guy at the top of a rotation that I think can be competitive for years to come. So I'm excited to see as he continues to grow and continues to get more comfortable at the major league level. Yeah, to your point, I mean, this stuff just a little bit better and a little bit sharper, not only than Josiah, but than, than anyone on the staff and and than most of the young pitchers in ball. I mean, we're talking about a guy with a pretty a special skill set here. He's a lefty who sits 95 and can run it up to 97. Uh, he throws four-seam fastball, curveball, slider, and as you said, the very occasional, very rare changeup. On the season, 62% fastball, 20% curve, about 17% slider, and right around 1% change. The fact that he throws the curve in, the slider, does give him three pitches, so maybe the change isn't as pertinent, but as you said, it could help him in matchups and sequentially uh, put him over the top. I think that what's important to note with him, even though the results have not been quite as good as Josiah Gray, the peripherals are a little better. Where I said Gray is maybe due for a regression in terms of some of the numbers, and I love Josiah. I'm not knocking him. You know, Mackenzie Gore, if you look at it in terms of expected ERA and and FIP and some of those things, it's kind of where he should be. Uh, his his ex ERA is is 3.8. He's sitting at 3.7 right now. His FIP is the exact same as his earned run average. You know, his expected FIP is better than his current ERA at this moment. So those are just things that I look at as indicators of where are we headed here. You know, do you take some of the luck and, and things that you don't control out of the equation as a pitcher? What should your ERA look like? And his, for the record, you know, better than Gray or anybody else in the rotation. Uh, the strikeout rate, 11.2 per nine, speaks to number one front of the rotation stuff. He's kept the ball in the yard, sub one home run per nine innings, big deal. I do want the walk rate to come down. It has, and I hope we're seeing the beginning of that now. He's even pitched in some bad luck too, Tobe. I mean, he's got a 342 BABIP on the season. You want that right around 300 as league average, meaning basically hitters have been 42 points lucky against him. Uh, and the ground ball rate is up from last year with the Padres from 37% to 45%. So there is a lot to like. I think he could be a number one type. He's got the makeup to do it, to your point. He's got the stuff, 58 strikeouts and 46 innings. I think ultimately what they would like is if he's your two, and let's say Josiah's a three, and now you've got guys competing to fill out this rotation, you're getting Cade Cavalli back from TJ next year. Uh, Cole Henry made his first rehab start. We'll talk about that. Yeah, he's been outstanding in the minor leagues when healthy, the former second-round pick out of LSU. Jake Irvin has thrown the ball pretty well at the major league level so far up until the final inning where he got shelled by the Mets. He had been outstanding. Uh, don't forget, you know, last year's arms, Jackson Tatro, Evan Lee, who got hurt. Uh, there are other guys coming in the minor leagues still in this system like Jackson Rutledge. I, I think there's enough there that they feel like they can build a rotation. If they were to draft Paul Skeens out of LSU, you know, there's your number one or maybe – Somebody buys this team eventually, you sign uh, your your Scherzer of this era, and, and your ace comes from outside. Like All of a sudden, though, because of how good Gore and Gray have been, doesn't it seem like they're a lot closer than maybe it felt like a year ago? Yeah, definitely, because the way it looks right now, like you said, you kind of just need one more guy. I think you can find a fourth or fifth starter in the, in the farm system, or even you could maybe get someone on the bargain free agent. You're really just missing either the number one or number two pitcher. I think Gray is a pretty good number three. Like you said, maybe he could be a number two if you just needed to find a middle-of-the-rotation guy to fill out the order. 
or Gore can be a one or a two as well. So depending upon how some of these guys develop, depending upon what Cavalli shows when he comes back and what happens with the draft, you're very close with the pitching staff. And I think you can say that about a lot of the farm system with the, the, the Soto trade and what Rizzo has been able to do. Really, there, there's a lot of coverage of what is going to be available over the next couple of seasons. You look at house at third base, you look at the outfield. Really, maybe you sign a bat or two, but if these guys can develop and they can continue to get these guys ready to go, you know, maybe you plug in a piece or two in free agency and this team, you know, looking three and four years down the road should be competing again in the playoffs. That's Toby Altizer. I'm Grant Paulson. It's Bustin' Loose Baseball. We are back. We're going to be giving you multiple pods a week. Sorry for the early season respite here, but as we get ramped up for not only the draft ahead, but everything going on in the minors and the majors, uh, wanted to give you a multi-week Boston Loose Baseball installment. So we're giving you today's to get back on track, uh, and we will be back. So please spread the word about the pod returning. Uh, one other guy I did want to hit, because for the most part here, with all due respect to some of the veterans, uh, we're diving into some of the building blocks, and we can maybe on the next episode talk about you know, how the vets are faring and who might be a, a trade chip, whether that be Trevor Williams or uh, Lane Thomas and, and some of the other guys on this team that have exceeded expectations. But I did mention Jake Irvin. Irvin has really been interesting. Uh, three starts now in an ERA over four, 15 innings. That's a lot about sample size, right? Because his ERA was under one going into the final inning he threw where he gave up six runs in a frame, uh, got removed against the Mets with some inherited runners coming to score. But 14 strikeouts in 15 innings, just 12 hits allowed. Uh, he's done a lot very, very well. And in fact, through his first two starts and, and then a few innings into his third start, I mean, people were throwing a party. He threw four and a third one-run innings against the Cubs, then six and a third scoreless with five strikeouts against the Giants, and then ran into the buzzsaw that was a, a Mets lineup that broke out against him. But for people not familiar with his background, I mean, Irvin's 26 years old. He has slowly been working his way toward the big leagues for the Nationals for years. He's dealt with a lot of adversity. He lost the 2020 season because of the pandemics, didn't get to pitch there. He had an injury where he missed the season, had to come back. He was a fourth-round pick way back in 2018 as a college arm. Normally, you're a couple, maybe three years away, tops from getting to the big leagues, and here it took him you know, almost five seasons out of Oklahoma. But now as a 26-year-old, he's here. And he's huge. He's six foot six. He pitches with plane. And he pitches right out in front of home, basically home plate where he's releasing the ball with extension. It's a tough at bat. And you've seen early on, he's, he's throwing with confidence. He had the best control, according to Baseball America, in the minor league system. Funny because his first at bat, he hit a guy. But he kind of settled in. He's thrown strikes. Uh, I've been really, really impressed with just how comfortable maybe isn't the right word, but like how he carries himself, how confident he is. Uh, I like what I've seen from Jake Irvin so far. That was the, fir the first thing that stood out to me and the thing that stood out the most in that first outing. He hits Nico Horner first at first pitch in the majors, and then he just looked composed. He comes up, next guy up is Dansby Swanson, a Nationals killer, and he strikes him out. And you've seen in his starts, he just looks composed on the mound, even when he gets in a little bit of trouble. And the thing that stood out to me as well is – you thought he was just really a two-pitch guy with the fastball and the curveball. He comes up, he's throwing a sinker, he's throwing a changeup, and that's something that you're going to need if you want him to stick in the rotation is to have a couple of pitches that he can depend on as he goes through the order multiple times. You know, Maybe he projects more as a bullpen guy because he was primarily a two-pitch pitcher, at least you'd think that, but we'll see with him. I mean, it's been exciting to see. I, wasn't, I didn't have sky-high expectations for him when he made his debut. I didn't have him sticking in the rotation super long. I thought, you know, maybe he could help out this bullpen at some point, but with how he's pitching right now, they think he sticks in the rotation and we'll see how he does throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. How about 33% fastball, 32% curveball. So basically throwing the curve as much as the heater and then 23% sinkers. So that's like a, a two seam fastball with 11% changeups. That's the, the pitch breakdown for him. So he's already thrown 30 changeups. I mean, to your point, and you're all over it, Toby, I was stunned by that. Like uh, the, the book on him was fastball curveball guy. Now, I understand that four and two seams are both fastballs, but it's essentially two different offerings the way that he throws them. Then you throw in what is a devastating, awesome curveball getting swings and misses out of the zone. And he has feel for the changeup beyond what I thought. He's thrown a couple that have flashed plus. Like I, there was a changeup he got a strikeout on. I don't remember exactly which game it was, but 
he had like this demonstrative reaction where he ran over and and dapped up K Bear, and that was like a sixty five seventy changeup. Now I'm not saying he'll have that all the time, but it, it it flashes pretty nasty, and it gives you some hope that maybe he could be, you know, with his size and innings eating kind of back of the rotation type starter. I had penciled him in to your point as a reliever uh, before I'd seen him, and and I'm trying not to overreact to a small sample, but it it has been impressive. I will give him that. Well, and to your point, I mean, we don't know exactly what he's going to be throughout the rest of the season, but this is why having these guys be able to come up and learn at the major league level, maybe he fills in at the four or five starter, and that's a guy you don't have to go pick up as a free agent down the road. You know, like we said, Gore and Gray are going to be one, two, three, somewhere in there. Now you're just trying to find that fourth and fifth guy throughout the farm system and a guy like Jake Irvin, if he can help you out and become a starter that establishes himself at the back end of the rotation, then you have Cavalli coming still, like you mentioned, Henry. I mean, there's a lot to be excited about with this Nationals team, and you know, Jake Irvin just adds to that. Average exit velocity so far against Irvin, 71st percentile. So he's beaten out 70% of arms. Barrel percentage, 77th. Extension, uh, 89th percentile. That comes from that 6'6 size and where he releases the ball and how close it looks toward home plate. He's not getting chases out of the strike zone at all. He's not really getting swings and misses. His whiff percentage is in the first percentile. So there are some things you look at that worry you, and the regression has begun in some way from what was a sub-1 ERA. But if you just, again, like the Nationals, who we talked about, it's not like they're good, but they're way better than we thought. Jake Irvin has been very solid, and this is far exceeding, I think, probably even internally what they thought would happen when they called him up for a spot start. Uh, anybody else that you want to hit on on the pitching staff that has stood out from a building block standpoint before we move on? Did you want to talk bullpen, Harvey, anything else? Well, I think you mentioned just Hunter Harvey. Y- you see some ups and downs, but maybe he can be something for you in the back end of the bullpen going forward. Maybe he's someone we talk about not long from now as maybe a trade ship down the road, depending. But I think you've seen some guys throughout the season flash bits and pieces You know, Thaddeus Ward's been up and down as a reliever. He's shown some decent spots and he's been bad. So, you know, I think there's a lot of growth in that bullpen that needs to be had, but, you know, we can get into that another time. Yeah. Hunter Harvey on the year, a 203 average against 21 strikeouts in 19 innings, a whip barely over one. I mean, those are all star type numbers for the record. Uh, In 18 appearances, he seems to have taken over as their A reliever in biggest spots, seventh, eighth inning. He's pitching, got a save opportunity. Uh, when they had Kyle Finnegan set up for him a couple of nights ago. So he's definitely ascended for sure. He's a former first-round pick, remember, by the Orioles. So it's not like he's come out of obscurity or anonymity or anything. Uh, He's not a baby. He's 28 years old, but he doesn't have a ton of mileage on the arm. And so he looks like he's a building block. There's a curious case of Mason Thompson worth maybe throwing out there real quick, which is to say he was incredible at the beginning of the year had been arguably the best relief pitcher in baseball for the better part of three and a half weeks. And he's kind of been the opposite of that since now I'm high on him. The big fella, six foot six, 25 year old has really good stuff. It's been a real struggle lately. I don't know if, you know, they used him too much or he had dead arm or what, but I mean, I'm almost tempted to just, you know, at this point, uh, if he doesn't throw the ball better in his next few outings and look like he's got his stuff back, maybe, you know, give him a phantom IL stint or something. The the numbers on the year are pretty good. 21 strikeouts, 22 innings, a 1.1 whip, you know, ERA a little over four. I don't like ERA as a stat for relievers because you have one bad outing and it kind of skews it for weeks on end. But uh, but it just hasn't been right lately for Mason Thompson. Yeah, I mean, the thing for Mason Thompson is he used to be the 99 sinker guy that was just overpowering guys, and he kind of dialed that back more so for command. And early this season, pinpoint command. Put the glove there, he's going to hit it. And his stuff is very good, like you said. The problem over his last couple of outings is that command has kind of left him. He's left some pitches over the middle. He's walked some guys. And I think that's been the issue with Mason Thompson. And like you said, I don't know if it's a overuse thing, whatever it may be, but I wouldn't be opposed to if he struggles again, just giving him a couple weeks off to kind of just refocus, recalibrate everything. Because like you said, at the beginning of the year, he was fantastic, struggled a little bit as of late. So maybe it's just a usage thing with Davey Martinez and figuring out where his role is in that bullpen. 
You mentioned Thaddeus Ward. It's been a mixed bag for the Rule 5 draft pick. But I will just say really quickly about Thad Ward, there's some things to like through 11 outings. They don't use them very often. They pick their spots as evidenced by the fact that, I mean, there's guys on the team that have almost twice as many appearances, and he's been in the pen the entire season. Having said that, uh, 14 innings, 15 strikeouts, good sign. He's also a 163 average against. In terms of their relievers this season, there's nobody on the staff that has a lower average against than Thaddeus Ward. So that's telling, and, and that's a good sign. Uh, for a Rule 5 pick who would have been in the minor leagues if he stayed in his previous organization with Boston, I think that's awesome. Problem is he just walks too many guys. Yeah. And we've talked about this off air. Uh, but, I mean, he he you know he's got 13 walks in 14 innings. I know uh, our buddy Ryan, who we go to games with and talk to, is a big fan and thinks they should use him more. I can't bring you into a game if you're walking two or three guys in an inning, and that's happened a few times. So until he's consistently throwing strikes and he's not walking anybody, it's just hard to use him in important spots. Yeah, that's the big thing is he walks too many people. You can't really put him in in high leverage spots. And really, with how the Nationals have been playing lately, there haven't been a whole lot of spots where they're down five runs or up five or six runs where they can just throw in a guy that hopefully can eat an inning or two for him. And so that's why Thad Ward hasn't gotten as many appearances as maybe you'd like to see from him. But hopefully he can continue to work on the command because I think his stuff is pretty good. I think if he can get in the strike zone and stay in the strike zone and stop walking, guys, Maybe he could be something down the road for you, but he's shown little bits and pieces here and there. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Long gone. Let's talk about the system then. And we'll go in order of MLB pipeline and how they rank the prospects for the nationals to start. Uh, they've got James Wood at the top of the system. And that's correct. In my opinion, there was a big debate start of the year. Wood versus green. You guys know I've been on James Wood. I, I just like the bat more than uh, Elijah green. Woods 20 years old. He was acquired as the centerpiece in the Juan Soto deal. Went to IMG Academy in Florida was the 62nd pick in the 2021 draft. He's a massive guy at 6'6 plus, 240 pounds. Uh, he runs. He's a plus runner. I, I saw him in Fredericksburg several times last year and was just blown away with how he moves. It's kind of got some, to use a basketball term, Toby, like unicorn vibes of like just the, how big he is and how fast and, and athletic he is. Doesn't really have big holes in the swing. He can play center field with the speed and the strides. Uh, he dominated A-ball for the Padres before they traded him. He was hitting about 340 with a 1050 ops last year, 10 homers and 15 steals in his first 50 games in his first pro season uh, with affiliated club. And, you know, now he, he comes over to Washington, and he's just been awesome, man. The numbers this year are not eye-popping. In fact, they're not even really all that impressive. 
but he's playing at a really, really hard place to hit in Wilmington. There's been a lot of talk online this week about how unfriendly the confines uh, are in A-plus ball for the Nationals. But 33 games, about 120 at-bats as of right now. Five homers, five steals, 26 driven in in 33 games. He's hitting 280. He's getting on base 37% of the time. He's got a 9-11 OPS, and he's really gotten hot. Last nine games, 11 for 34 at the plate, hitting 325. OPS over that time is around 1,200. He was on a Baseball America, I believe it was, Player of the Week this past week. I love what he's been able to do this year. He, he looks like he's closing on being ready for double A as a 20-year-old, which is pretty special. Yeah, and I was listening to some people talk about James Woods, some of the guys that follow the prospects pretty closely. And it's it's a good thing for baseball to have guys like James Wood. We're seeing some of these taller players come over and play baseball. Aaron Judge, obviously 6'8". You got O'Neill Cruz is 6'7". James Wood is 6'7". Ellie De La Cruz is 6'6 or taller. And Wood is an athlete. You mentioned he's got some of the the ability to move around. He was a basketball player. So it's a good thing to see that he can move around on the base pads. He can move around well in the outfield and play good defense. And then the most impressive thing for me with James Wood is the fact that he's six foot seven and he doesn't have a huge hole in his swing. You would think that a guy that tall would have issues getting to balls low, getting to balls inside, whatever the case may be. He might have an issue getting to the ball, and you'd have some issues with contact. But when he did make contact, there'd be a lot of power. But that's not been the case with him. He's a good contact guy for a 6'7", and I think the ceiling for him is sky high. And he was someone that I wasn't super familiar with when they got him in that Soto deal. But now that you kind of learn a little bit more about him and see what he's done with the Nationals in their system so far, it's hard not to get super excited about what he can become for the Nats down the road. Oh, it's it's you can dream on it a little bit. And wasn't he just added? I should know this, but it was it pipeline. Just put him in their top 10. I think people were talking I about. So, yeah, this week. Eighth. Yeah. So eighth overall. I mean, he, he is one of the great prospects in the game. There's no doubt about that. Uh, if you look at, you know, the, the nationals on the season in their system and you look at strikeout rate. James Wood is like seventh among their top 30. Uh, among, you know, how often he's striking out. Uh, Brenner Cox, Elijah Green, Jeremy De La Rosa, TJ White, Jeremy McKenzie, uh, Royce Mark Cantana, like all strike out at a higher rate than him, which is to say is a power bat who is younger than his level and as tall as he is, to your point, to, to be able to control the strike zone, to be in the mid-20s, I think it is, in strikeout percentage, is uh, it's just a really good sign. All right, on to the number two prospect in the system, according to Pipeline right now. I disagree with this ranking, but we're going in that order. They've got Robert Hassel there. Uh, Hassel's another guy who came over in the Juan Soto deal from the Padres. He's 21 years old. I like Robert Hassel a lot. Uh, he's going to be a good major league player. I'm not worried about the fact that he struggled offensively for the most part since coming to the Nationals. I just don't view him as a big-time ceiling guy. Like, I don't view him as, you know, a several-time major league all-star or anything like that. And that's why I don't know that I like him being ranked second, but the floor is very high for him. Like, he's going to be a major leaguer. He's going to contribute for a lot of years to the Nationals. And frankly, he's closer then Wood, and then Green, and then House, and then a lot of the guys we'll talk about. Uh, but he was the eighth overall pick in 2020. Left-handed bat, plus hit tool, above-average defender, above-average runner. Uh, he started late this season. He was rehabbing in West Palm, uh, but he's now played in 27 games and has 100 at-bats. Uh, he played in Fredericksburg for a few weeks, and he's been more recently uh, in double-A as he's worked his way uh, back up to the affiliate he would be at. And it won't be long probably before he's in triple-A and, and on the doorstep of the big leagues. Uh, yesterday, he went one for three and walked twice. That's interesting because the guy walks all the time now. He was on base three times. He's batting leadoff for Harrisburg. In 27 games this season, Toby, he's got 26 walks and 23 strikeouts. More walks than Ks. It's so rare. I mean, around here, the only guy in the big leagues that does that over the last several years is Juan Soto. You just don't see people, and especially young players, walking more than they strike out in today's day and age. But uh, to Assel's credit, I mean, he's walked a ton. Uh, power has not been there, and that's what I'm a little bothered by. One homer, two stolen bases, just seven extra base hits. So it has been a pretty disappointing offensive season. And I would just say, in general, since he came over, uh, he has not hit nearly like he did in San Diego or like he's projected to. But that walk rate of 19.7% of the time is best in the system 
So that's something he can hang his hat on right now as he tries to get the bat going. Yeah, the thing with Hassel and why he kind of gets left out of some of these conversations when you talk about Nat's prospects is Wood has a sky-high ceiling. Elijah Green has a sky-high ceiling. Same thing with Brady House, sky-high ceilings. And I don't know that that's the case with Hassel. Like you said, he's kind of capped on what he can become, but he's the kind of guy that he comes through your system, he gets up to the major league level, and he just sticks there forever. And he just plays every day. He doesn't necessarily stand out. Maybe he's a fan favorite kind of guy that everyone wears the jersey of, but he's not going to be an MLB all-star. Like He's just a guy that you pencil in the lineup every day. You don't have to worry about him. He just gives you a solid player for your organization and that's what I think it is with Hassel so you know maybe he's a little high on a prospect rank maybe it's just because of you know what he's shown so far as a, as a floor but you know he's a guy that you want in your organization because when he comes over when he gets to the major league level when he's finally ready to go he's just going to give you an everyday player that you don't have to worry about and just leave him in the lineup and he gives you solid production every single year yeah, if he's 280 and, and 17 homers and 20 steals or something like that, and he plays good defense as a left fielder, you know, that's a really solid winning baseball player in the big leagues. And I think that's probably what they're hoping he turns into as one of the pieces of that Soto deal. Obviously, you've already got Gore and Abrams in the big leagues as key contributors. Uh, and then you're, you're going to add James Wood as arguably and hopefully your best player uh, when he graduates. Uh, you'll eventually hopefully have Harleen Susana and Robert Hassel there as well. And if, if you get all those guys to the show, all five of them, it would be, you know, an all time return in the Soto deal, which is what they're hoping for. Uh, you mentioned Elijah green. He's third on pipeline uh, update on him. 19 year old. This is the number three prospect uh, via MLB in the system drafted number five overall last July. He's the son of a former NFL tight end and a pro bowler, uh, Eric green, IMG Academy, just like James Wood. They were high school teammates. In fact, uh, came out a year apart. Elijah Green is not quite as big as Wood, but he's huge. When I went and saw him, and I've seen him a few times in Fredericksburg this spring already, it, it, it takes you back. I, I just He's a man. You know, he's a 19-year-old man. 6'3", 230, looks like an NFL build, to be honest with you, like his pops. You can tell they're in the weight room together a lot. Uh, he has a chance to have big-time power and big-time speed. 70 runner already. Probably a 60-65 power guy in his future if he, he hits you know, the, the way that people think he's going to from a pop standpoint. Here's the question, though, because you don't really worry about the run. You don't worry about the pop. I don't think you worry about the arm. He's got a great arm. He's got a chance of being an above-average center fielder. The question is the bat and the swing and miss. This has always kind of been the question. He struck out a lot in high school, albeit against good competition. And this season, he is striking out at an alarming rate. Now, he's productive enough that it's not a disaster. Like, he's hitting 245. His OPS is 684. He's in a cold spell right now. He's got just two homers on the year, lower than I'd like. But he's got 14 steals in 16 tries. So you, you got the chance to jump out of the yard every game with power. You have 14 steals. You play good defense. You're hitting about 250. Even though he's got 55 strikeouts and 110 at-bats, striking out about half of the time, like he's actually productive. So it's it's a strange profile in that way. But I will tell you that I looked it up last night. His K rate in terms of at-bats and strikeouts right now is third worst in the minors among guys with his number of at-bats. So the fears about him swinging and missing are coming to fruition here early on as a teenager in lower A-ball. Uh, he's hitting 238 with a 600 OPS in 12 games in May. So slow start to the month of May, Toby. Yeah, he's very intriguing because he's got a sky-high ceiling like we mentioned with James Wood. The guy can run, like you said. He can steal a lot of bags. He looks like he could be maybe a 30-30, 40-40 type of guy, which is ridiculous and someone that you can really dream about. But the scary part is he's just swing and miss. And it's not even your regular swing and miss. You'd think with a guy like him that he's maybe got maybe like a Javi Baez type of thing where he can hit for power, but he doesn't have the discipline. He's swinging all the time out of the zone. He's chasing all over the place. But even that hasn't been the case. He's had 15 walks this year, so he's been able to have some decent plate discipline. His problem is he swings and misses at pitches that are in the zone. And so that's the thing that really concerns me with him is everything else looks like a star major leaguer coming forward. But the problem is he swings and misses at pitches in the zone. 
and you wonder how much of that is fixable. Again, he's 19 years old, so he's got some time before he's going to come up to the major league level. They're going to work with him. They understood when they drafted him that he was going to have some swing and miss in his game. Maybe not this much. Maybe they didn't expect this much. Maybe they think they can fix it. But that's the one thing that concerns me. The rest of it, sky-high potential, and I think is is really exciting and why a lot of people have him as their most exciting Nats prospect. But it does worry me that this guy has pitches in the zone and he just can't hit them. Yeah, so I agree with you. And and I'm not, like, panicking. I'm, I'm not even – I wouldn't even say I'm concerned, like, in the big picture. I, I'm disappointed by the production so far, obviously. But for me, I guess where I'm at is – Number one, I, I'd like to see a little more power. Like two home runs to this point is a little surprising in Fredericksburg. But I, I will say, again, it's he's 19. It's been a month and a half. Like we all need to just take a deep breath. Aaron Rodgers style. You were you were in uh, Wisconsin, right? Yeah. R-E-L-A-X. We got to relax on him a bit. Uh, nobody should be panicking. But I, I do want to see him start to make more contact. And you you hit on something really sharp. It's the in-zone swings and misses that tell me that a swing adjustment of some type is probably needed. And frankly, James Wood had one. Like James Wood had a major issue with swinging and missing around draft time the year before. And that was the big question. He was considered a top 10 type talent like Elijah Green from the same school, the baseball factory, IMG Academy. He fell to 62, I think, in the draft, as I mentioned, because, you know, there were a couple of reasons, I'm sure, signability or whatever, but I think there was some concern about swing and miss. The Padres, to their credit, made an adjustment, and and the rest is history. Uh, Brady House, you got to like what you saw from him early. I will say he killed it in April. It hasn't quite been the same in May. In April, he had an 11-12 OPS in 13 games. So far in May, his OPS has been 462. So he's struggling, five for his last 33 in, in nine games here this month. But over the course of the year, about 80 at-bats, he's been one of the more productive bats in the system for the Nats. Three home runs, 14 driven in, a 270 average, and 850 ops. He's got 14 walks to help balance out the 22 strikeouts. Uh, Weirdly, I looked at his splits. Excellent on the road this year. 375 average, 1125 OPS. And in Fredericksburg at home, he's hitting just 171 with a 556 ops. But for people that don't know, House is the 19-year-old Number four in the system via pipeline. I would move him up uh, a spot or two. 11th pick in the 21 draft, and he's having a nice bounce back. Last year, he got off to a great start and then had a back injury. He's a big guy, 6'4", 215. was a high school shortstop. They drafted him as a shortstop. They've already moved him full-time to third base. Well, and that's one thing that's encouraging to see is a lot of people were down on him after he struggled in the second half of last year. You know, he was a top 100 prospect, then he fell out, and some publications have him in again. So it's good to see him kind of bouncing back. But the thing I like about this is if you just look at the Nationals and look going forward, say if we're looking towards 2025, 2026, we just went through three outfielders who could be the future of the outfield. You got C.J. Abrams at shortstop. You got Garcia at second base. And then Brady House hopefully slots right in at third base, like, and Cabert Ruiz behind the behind the plate, you know, like you got really first base is open. Like honestly, that's what's so exciting about this national system. And Brady House, I think, gives you a solid bat. And I think that's why it's important with these guys. You continue to develop them. The guys at the major league level continue to try and get them comfortable at the major league level and continue to grow them as prospects. But Brady House, I'm excited to see what he can become as a bat. I think he's got the potential to be a middle of the order type of bat, but. You know, you've got a lot of sky-high potential guys in this system, so hopefully in a couple seasons we can really see these guys doing it in curly Ws. All right, let's hit on a couple of arms here before we get done with our minor league report, and then we'll bring in Darris for a quick fair or foul. Uh, Harleen Susana, I mentioned his name earlier. He was the arm that came over in the Soto deal at uh, 18 years old last year. It throws 100 mile an hour. I saw his first start in the Nats at Warg. He threw a 103-mile-an-hour fastball a bunch of times in that game, which was crazy. Uh, he's been at Fredericksburg. He's struggling a little bit. Has not been a good start to the year for him. He's only 19, uh, so that should be remembered. 6'6", 235. He's a massive dude. He's just huge. Uh, still touching 100 routinely. Uh, not anywhere near the 103 that he was. He's kind of been settling into the, the mid to high 90s. He's like 97, 98 a lot, and he reaches back for 100. But – Right around 16 innings, 20 strikeouts, that's great. 200 average against, that's dominant. That, that shows that no one can hit him. 
Uh, only 11 hits in, in, in 16 innings is a big deal. 15 walks in 15 and two-third innings. There's your problem. And because of that, his ERA is over five. Was better last time. A week ago, Wednesday, so eight days ago from when we're recording, he pitched four innings, two hits, two runs, four strikeouts. Looked a lot better. Uh, threw the ball over the plate a lot more consistently. But that's what it's going to have to be. You know, if he's spraying the ball, uh, it just takes away from how dominant he can be. Yeah, I mean, command when you're throwing that hard is something that obviously just kind of comes with the territory. He, he's an interesting prospect to me because if you just go through the hall of the Soto deal, it almost feels like Susana was almost just like the throw-in guy to kind of go over the top. And, of course, you bring in a guy that throws as hard as he does, and he's so young. I don't know. Do you think, Grant, that he sticks as a rotation guy? Or he? you sound you know, 103, a guy throwing it all the time. That just sounds like a closer to me. Yeah, when you see that velocity, and certainly if he's going to struggle to throw strikes, that screams bullpen. Uh, I love the possibility, though, and, and we'll see if he can harness it. But with his two pitches he's got now, fastball, breaking ball, if he could add a changeup and just be 96-97 as a starter, I just love the upside. You know, So you'll let him basically start until he proves he can't do it anymore. I think worst-case scenario, you've got an electric back-end arm. Like, that's the worst case. Best case, just based on his stuff, he turns into a really nasty, potentially dominant starting pitcher. Uh, but the whole question, I think, now, having seen a good sample of him dating back to last year, is going to be, can he control the ball in the strike zone over the plate? Can he command the ball? Now, the difference between control and command, people inter interchange those words, they're different, right? Control is throwing strikes. Command is locating. So control is over the dish. Command is hitting the mitt in the quadrant you're trying to. And I think both of those areas, more so even control for him still, uh, has been a bit of an issue. A much more refined arm in the system, uh, Jake Bennett. How about this guy? 22-year-old lefty. If you guys aren't familiar, he was the second-round pick last July for the Nats out of Oklahoma. So they took Green fifth overall, and then they took Bennett in the second round. He went to the same high school. Uh, Bixby High School in Oklahoma as Cade Cavalli. Then he went to college at Oklahoma with Cade Cavalli. Uh, now he's in the system with Cavalli with the Nats. He's been really good, man. Uh, last night he threw again, and he struck out nine in four innings of five-hit ball, gave up two runs, wasn't efficient at all. He threw 86 pitches. That has not been the norm this year. It just was the case yesterday. But for the season so far, uh, how about this, Toby? Seven starts for Jake Bennett, a 2.3 ERA, 30 innings, 40 strikeouts, 25 hits, 223 average against, and a whip barely over one. I'm ready to bump him up from Fredericksburg, get him to Wilmington, and let him start getting challenged a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's shown you this year so far with the Fredericksburg Nats that he's he's ready to go. I mean, and you point out the strikeouts, only eight walks. He's done a really good job this year, and you know this is what you get when you draft college arms. He's a little bit older than some of the other guys we talked about a year or two older, but you get a guy that's a little more refined, and I think that's part of the reason that you bring that guy in is you know you're looking for that fourth and fifth guy like we talked about earlier with Jake Irvin. So you know maybe this guy can accelerate through the system a little bit quicker, be someone that maybe comes up in a a year or two. But he's shown some good things so far with the Fred Nats. All right, two more really quick. Jackson Rutledge. He's done some good things. A 24-year-old righty, I think a lot of people were ready to move on from the idea that he was a starter and maybe even that he was an impact pitcher for the Nats. But the 2019 first-round pick, their 17th overall pick, another huge guy. They got a type, don't they? They like size, 6'8", 250. Strong first half of the season so far in double A. So this ain't nothing. Like It's not like he's pitching in low A here. Double A, Jackson Rutledge. Seven starts, a sub-3 ERA, 2.7, much more consistent than the last few years. 39 innings, just 30 hits with 37 strikeouts, great numbers. 214 average against, excellent. 1.1 whip, phenomenal. Uh, Rutledge is a call away from the show. Remember, they called up uh, Evan Lee from AA at one point last year. So, like, they could start him in a week or two if they wanted to. Now, they won't. But my point is just to say... You know, he, he's going to get a triple-A call up soon, I would imagine. He could be pitching in the big league rotation. If, if they move Williams or, you know, something happens where they need a starter. Right now, it's super exciting whenever Gore throws, Gray throws, uh, now Irvin because they got a young guy pitching. Rutledge could be added to that mix sooner than later the way he's been pitching in double-A. 
Yeah, I mean, you're just an injury away at this point. Irvin's kind of stuck in the rotation now. Chad Cool on the IL. If something were to happen to Williams or Gore or Gray, maybe you just go ahead and let Jutledge the big leagues in. I mean, it's, I don't think it can be overstated with these guys that that 2020 season was so difficult for minor leaguers, and you almost forget about it. But I know it's a couple years now in the past. He's kind of had a couple years to grow with it. But you go from being in the system and developing to basically being off to then trying to come back and get back to that form that you were at in 2019 and then grow off of it. You know, I, I think you're seeing him take steps. You know, you go from a 7 6 8 ERA in 2021 with a couple different teams to now 4 9 0 last year to 2 7 2 this year. You're starting to see that growth and him get a little more comfortable. So I'd be excited to see him at some point this season. All right. Last guy. And this one's just uh, for our pod listeners who have followed us here the last year. We've had this guy on a bunch. And in fact, our recent, most recent podcast, he was updating his recovery. How about Cole Henry? The old LSU arm, the 23-year-old for a second-round pick in 2020 who was flying through the minors. Nobody could hit this guy. His career minor league totals, a sub-2 ERA and a sub-1 whip. I mean, he's been as dominant as any pitcher in the minors statistically the last couple of years. He got shut down last year, 11-month recovery, had to have thoracic outlet surgery, back on the mound for the first time this week in Fredericksburg. That's low A, three innings. Gave up one hit, faced one over the minimum, retiring nine batters, struck out five. Uh, I texted with him afterwards. I can't imagine how happy he must have been. He said he just he was over the moon, really, really excited. But three innings, one hit, five Ks, couldn't have gone better for Cole Henry. And he was in AAA when he got shut down last year. I mean, another guy potentially who could be in the mix in the second half of this year. That's why I keep saying this is going to be a really fun rest of the year for Nats fans to see some of these guys graduate. Yeah, and I was excited to see what he could become and then obviously get shut down last year. Now it's just about the health and seeing if he can get back to that sort of form. And early returns, I know it's a very small sample size, but looked good in his first start back. Dang, zoom. All right, so let's bring in our producer, Darius, here in our final couple of minutes for a little fair or foul, going a little longer than normal today in our first pod back, little bonus content for you here on Boston Loose Baseball. If you're just uh, jumping in for the first time, myself, Toby, and producer Darris will be with you throughout the rest of this Nat season. So, Darris, let's go fair or foul. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Boston Loose Baseball. Fair or foul, Riley Adams, the backup catcher here with us, with our Washington Nationals, should be Patrick Corbin's personal catcher no matter what. The stats show that Patrick Corbin has better has better stats when Riley Adams is catching him, should he be his personal catcher? I'll say fair. I think that you need to give Cabert Ruiz more days off. I think he's catching a little bit too much. And if you just already have a built-in one out of every five days that he gets the day off, and you know we've already had a track record, which Grant can hit on some of the numbers, I'm sure, here in just a second. I'm guessing he'll go with fair. I don't want to spoil it, but... You have better numbers with Riley Adams behind the plate when Corbin is on the mound. I look at it, though, more. Cabert Ruiz has been playing a little bit too much for my liking early on. I would like to get him some days off. I think that makes sense. I would also add, I want to see Riley Adams just play a little more because Riley Adams has power, and this lineup is desperate for power. You, know, you just can't convince me that this team's too good to get a 26-year-old with some thump into the lineup occasionally. You saw the big bomb he hit in San Francisco eight days ago. He's had three at-bats since. You know, he's played one time since, and I'm all about playing K. Barrett Ruiz and, and turning him into whatever you, you can as a asset moving forward. But I would like to see Riley Adams play more. I do think he's had more success with Corbin for whatever reason. So, yeah, I'll say fair as well. All right. Speaking of power, that brings us to our next one. Corey Dickerson returned uh, in these in this Miami series, and he hit a bomb in his first at bat back. Corey Dickerson, fair or foul, will supply the power that the Nats have been needing. I'll go with fair. Why not? I don't know who else is going to. I mean, that's the thing with this Nats lineup is it's a lot of singles hitters. Joey Manessis finally had some doubles last week. That was good to see. But yeah, I don't know who's going to provide it. But Corey Dickerson. He's had power throughout his career. Maybe that's the guy that can give you some because this this lineup desperately needs it. He had two seasons. In fact, back-to-back -back years early in his career where he hit over 24 home runs with Tampa Bay. It's 
been a long time since, though. He's not really been much of a power threat over the last few years. So I'll say foul. I'm not sure if the help that we want is necessarily coming here. Uh, Toby's point is a good one. If it's not him, who's it going to be? And I guess my answer to that is I'm not sure that it's going to be anybody. I think they do just lack power, and, and that's how this is going to go. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I'm trying to find the stat here, but they, uh, they're they right near the top of baseball in terms of base runners. So they, they pretty routinely get guys aboard and don't have issues doing that. But obviously run scored nowhere near the top. So that speaks to lacking that pop. Uh, I would like to get him some ABs, and if he could get hot, I would keep playing him. Here's why. You know, I know you don't want to take at-bats away from your younger players, but it's not like they've got building block outfielders that aren't getting reps right now, number one. And number two, anybody that they can flip for more in the minor leagues is still a win this year. You know, if that's Trevor Williams, if that's Lane Thomas, as much as people I think are starting to like him, if that's Alex Cole, like with all the respect to those guys, if you can move them and get a piece back who's a top 20 prospect and it just adds some talent to the system, I think that's worthwhile. Let's go with let's let's talk about some of the younger guys. Fair or foul. Luis Garcia's defensive renaissance is the biggest surprise of the season so far. That's an interesting one. I I'll go fair on that because last year it was a terrible watching him try to field anywhere. And in this year he's been a solid second baseman. Now I will say the one thing that I've noticed with Luis Garcia is he's been much better glove. He's a terrible relay thrower. I saw that the other night. Got the ball in a relay trying to get a guy at the plate, and he three-hopped it to the plate, and it was just terrible. No chance to get him. But overall, at second base, he's been good. I think the whole infield defense has taken a step forward this year. Biggest revelation, maybe I'm trying to think if there's another one, but yeah, I'll go with Farrell on that. I'll say foul. I love what he's done. I think it's it's certainly near the top of the list. I'll go Josiah's breakout. I just think the the results he's garnered have been pretty fantastic. Um, been great to see that. I think the rise of Hunter Harvey's been pretty impressive as well. But uh, yeah, it's right near the top of the list. All right. Speaking of Josiah Gray, fair or foul? Josiah Gray will be selected to his first All Star game this year. Ooh. Man, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer and say foul on this, but I'm going to say foul. Um, you you went through some of the peripherals, Grant, and at some point he'll probably come back down to earth. That's not to say that he's going to jump into the fours and the ERA. I think he'll still be in the middle somewhere, maybe mid threes or somewhere around there. But I think at some point he's going to have a, a start where he struggles a little bit. But I think he'll be close. I don't think he's going to be an obvious no, but I think he'll be close. But I'm going to say no, he's not going to make it this year. I think it's so hard as a starting pitcher too, because there's, you know, they're just not taking more than seven or eight or whatever. And there's so many good ones. Let me ask you this though. Do you still need a rep from every single team? Is that still a rule? I think so. Yeah. If that's the case, who's their (laughs) all-star? It's probably got to be gray or it would be, I mean, because that could be where you go fair, right? Yeah. Because I don't think it would be an offensive player unless Joey's hitting like, 310 at the break. I know he's up to 300. He's on bereavement right now. But it, there's no power there. His OPS is low. Like, I, I normally teams, I don't want to say bad teams, but this is what it is, right? They're, they're not uh, right now considered a, a good team around the country. Teams that are just on, on the outside looking in that have that one person, a lot of times it's a reliever. So maybe it'll be like Hunter Harvey if he keeps throwing really, really well and bounces back from the blown save the other night. I don't know. But because of that, I would say if the All-Star game was this weekend, I think JoJo would probably be the rep, to be honest with you. All right. And speaking of Hunter Harvey, fair or foul, Hunter Harvey should be the unquestioned closer going forward. Fair, 100% fair. Kyle Fittigan is good, but the stuff that Hunter Harvey has is just closer stuff. And, you know, maybe you go into it with an idea that. He's the closer by title, but he just faces the meat of the order when it's in the eighth inning or later, seventh inning or later, and that's the sort of thing that it goes with. And so he's not always in the ninth inning role. You have some flexibility with that with Finnegan. But, yes, I think that Hunter Harvey has the stuff to be the closer and should be going forward. Agreed. I would only add the caveat of you know whether that means always getting a ninth inning save or not. I don't care. Uh, I want him pitching in the biggest spots. So, like, there was a game – handful of days ago where Finnegan got the actual save in the ninth. 
but they had Harvey pitch the eighth against the meat of the order. And I thought that was the more critical inning. So in other words, like, yeah, he doesn't get the ninth inning save next to his name, but if you're facing three, four, five, six in the order, and then Finnegan came in and got seven through nine, like whenever you're facing the biggest challenge is when I want Harvey in the game, eighth or ninth inning, which is to say he is their A closer, their A reliever. I agree with Toby Fair. All right, last one I got for you before we close out this episode of Bust Moose Baseball. Fair or foul, C.J. Abrams has 19 errors in his 84 career games as a member of the Nationals. That is a huge concern. Fair or foul? Fair, 100%. One thing that has stood out to me so far with C.J. is I think his glove is good. His arm is a bit of a concern with me. He's got incredible range. He'll get to balls that a lot of shortstops can't get to. But for whatever reason, his arm struggles. And sometimes it's an arm strength thing where it seems like he doesn't get it over there and he bounces a lot of them. And I think he's got more in that arm and he needs to just kind of let it go. But if Dom Smith wasn't over at first base, that number would be even higher because he bounces so many throws over there. So 100% it's a concern right now. Dom Smith Smith has saved his bacon. I'm going to say foul, actually. Uh, Not based on this season because I'm definitely, every time there's a a ground ball and a throw in a big spot. I'm a little anxious right now. Having said that, in the grand scheme of things, he's 22. He was the eighth youngest player in the majors at the start of the year. You know, I'm, I'm giving him some runway here. I, I feel really good about the profile. Like he's got an the he's got well above average range, arm, uh, quickness, agility, like all the stuff you need to turn into a really good shortstop. So I'm choosing to believe this is just part of the journey. And I'll say foul. That's all I got. Well done, producer Darius. So this has been Bustin' Loose Baseball. Toby, I'm pumped to have you with us. It's going to be good to be delivering these pods for everyone a couple times a week. Yes, sir. Good to talk Nats baseball, Grant. Do this for me, everybody. Uh, spread the word, number one, that Bustin' Loose Baseball is back. Uh, Danny will be contributing as we go off and on, I'm sure. We'll get him in the mix uh various points. But we uh, want you guys to subscribe, to rate, to review, do all of those podcasty things that people do to try to grow podcasts because uh, we're going to be giving you the content, so we need to make sure that it is uh, getting sent around and people are hearing it. Thank you for listening. Bustin' Loose Baseball. Until next time, Nats fans, Bob Carpenter style. See you later. <laughs>